Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to episode number seven, our first October episode, where we'll be talking about Halloween the Holiday, as well as Halloween, the 1978 horror classic. My co-hostess, Kat Knight will be starring in a short in the Halloween Fan Film Festival. You'll be able to see her as a Michael Myers victim if you check out the festival entries on the Halloween Network on YouTube. Hers is called Halloween Boogeyman is Coming by Mondo Franco. The films are judged by the amount of likes it receives, so don't be shy about clicking that you like it. And if you want a horror movie to watch this month, check out Five Across the Eyes. It's a micro-budget teenage girls in peril flick that I have a story by credit on, and you can watch for free on Hulu. Don't look for my name in the credits, though, as the opening credits were cut for time. Still, I think it would be cool if Five Across the Eyes achieved some cult status. Sort of like a much bloodier Troll 2. Now, put a light in your jack-o'-lantern, bob for apples, do the monster mash, and join us for Very Boys and Ghouls Halloween. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill the undead. So you ever talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Look! The third switch! Give my creation! Because hers is the most fun. I can also do... Don't wear my blouse! It's expensive, idiot! Um, I could kick us off by ex- by describing the conversation I had with my mother about my childhood experiences with Halloween. Holy crap. Yes, It's not please. as interesting as it, is it... I mean, you know, I don't want to build it up too much, but... Um, I, I think of you as a spooky child. Yeah. But because you're blonde, I think of you as like the bad seed. Ooh! Or one of the kids from Village of the Damned. Oh, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. All right, let me open up my notes. And hey, everybody, I'm Marshall Hicks. And I'm Kat Knipe. And on this episode of Boys and Ghouls, we're going to be covering Halloween, the holiday and the movie. Because it's October. The month is just getting started, but Kat has been celebrating since about September 1st. September 12th. Okay, Okay. September 12th, you went into your closet of Halloween stuff and started pulling stuff out. Yeah, and I just laid with it on top of me for a while, and then I I stared at it, and then I didn't hang anything up right then. Okay. But it wasn't too long after that. I wait all year for this time. I only get a little bit of it. How much stays out all year? Nothing. Really? Really. The thing is, I don't want to oversaturate, and it sounds funny from someone who starts decorating mid-September. But it definitely is important to me that it is a special time. 
So right. I don't want to have all that stuff up all year. Now, I watch scary movies all year long. You know that about me. Sure. Um, hence this podcast. We both enjoy that. But um, as far as Halloween specifically, I try to relegate all the, the stuff that I do. Like, I always get out Halloween coloring books, and I do all kinds of childish things, hanging lights and all that. I try to keep it special. I try to keep the time special. Try. Okay. Being so the in, in the rest of the year, you don't have, like, a skull candelabra oh there's a gargoyle that kind of stays out all year but that's just because he's fun okay yeah and you got me a halloween uh, picture frame that kind of usually stays out all year you know halloween is in my heart all year it stays there and it's nice it's like old friends i take out you know my creepy skeleton named javier who i've you know had for like three years now and i'm like oh i forgot about you you must have been so tired and sad in there but now you can spook again you know it's really he's magical. Like, it's good to be back, Kat. He does say that. Oh, it's a good time. I also uh, got out my Foot Locker of goodies, which I guess has grown because it used to just be my gym bag of Halloween stuff. Yeah, Marshall has some excellent skull lights and greeted me at the door with a bubbling brew. Hawaiian Th- punch and dry ice. <laughs> this is why Halloween is magical because it gives you the excuse to use dry ice in everyday drinks. Yeah, when you're buying it, it's not like Christmas trees. They only sell it a couple months a year. You can just go buy dry ice. Yeah. Whenever the heck. And yet, you know, even though you came over here in July and you came over here in August, I never greeted you with dry ice, but I did this time because it's October. It is. Woo. And I tell you what, I could not be more excited about this podcast. If I tried, I couldn't. Halloween, the motion picture about the most terrifying night of the year, starring Donald Pleasance. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Halloween, the night he came home. Rated R. Well, Marshall, I had a conversation with my mother the other day in preparation for this podcast because... As you know, I grew up watching John Carpenter's Halloween. When I say grew up, I mean my mother and I were trying. She asked me when we were having a conversation, when's the first time you saw that movie? And I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. You were an adult showing it to a child. And she was like, I just don't remember, which I found hilarious. I did wonder if you snuck these movies. No. Well, it depends on these movies. Was it like popcorn family time? It depends on what you mean by these movies. Now, there were some movies my mother did not want me to watch as a kid, like The Exorcist, which my brother showed me anyway, without her knowing, when I was way too young. But Halloween... I remember it being popcorn family time. I mean, my mom would always, either if we had a real jack-o'-lantern or just one that, you know, was electric, she would light a jack-o'-lantern somehow, place it right by the TV, and we would get under the covers and watch Okay, so so this was Halloween, Halloween time. Yes. Okay, Uh, that's a lot better than just, like, it's Saturday and she makes it your babysitter. No. Like, I'm going to the store. (laughs) Let me just park you in front of the TV. I put in the Michael Myers tape, you like. You want me to fast forward past the previews? Probably eventually it became that. But at first, you know, she was totally supervised. But I just remember my mom making the movie Halloween a lot of fun. It would be a whole lot of like, oh no, oh, he's coming, you know, and just like hiding under the covers. And she made it like a gleefully suspenseful experience to the point. I mean, the movie is just so comforting to me. It's like my best friend. I know it so well. And I genuinely still think it's scary. Like I am still biting my nails when I sit down and really watch it, even though I know everything that's going to happen at every moment. 
But yeah, my mom couldn't even remember the first time I watched that movie. That's how early I saw it. It's as much a part of my childhood as like my first pair of red sneakers. Like it's just there. It's just always, you know, there's no, there's no milestone first time I watched it. All right. And that's kind of anticlimactic. For, but. for me, things were a little different as with a lot of horror franchises. I wound up catching one of the sequels first. Which one? I don't know. He was after the little girl, so that'll be about like four. Four, yeah. By then, I was probably about 11, 12. And I had come up knowing who Michael Myers was in that just sort of vague way that you know what things are without ever even having to watch it. Right. It's just kind of out it's a, there. It's a part of the, of the, the zeitgeist. Canon. Yeah, sure. So yep. I, I like knew who Michael Myers was, and I knew that he killed with a knife. And you catch on pretty quickly what he's up to. Yes. I do have this memory. I taped part of it on a VHS tape. Uh-huh. I went to bed and couldn't sleep knowing that Michael Myers was on a tape. Oh, now that as is if, intense. As if that would summon him somehow. <laughs> if he could just come out through the TV. Wow. Because I had placed some of him on VHS. Ooh. So I got out of bed, went to the family room, rewound the tape. And then just like taped over it with like an infomercial or whatever else was on You are just saying that because you know that I love this. This is a true story? Yeah. I love that though. That's so, that's powerful. I mean, Michael Myers is such an incredibly iconic figure that you're afraid of him being on VHS tape. I mean, one room away. I'm convinced that you cannot possibly be the only person that has that almost that exact same story. That happened to someone else. I bet you money. If that happened to you, please write to us at boysandghouls at gmail.com. Please, please do. I would love to hear this. Or leave us a comment on iTunes or uh, leave us a comment at our Podbean site. By the time I watched the first Halloween film, which is what we're here to discuss, 1978's Halloween, directed by John Carpenter, by then I was really familiar with Michael Myers. Mm -hmm. I knew his rap and I knew what he was all about. So for me, it was like going back and watching an origin story. It was almost like, well, if you watch a sequel first, then watching the original is like watching a prequel. Oh, yeah. So it was a really great, for me, like, here's where it all began. Right. And it began pretty early with him as a kid. Yeah, the plot of of Halloween, it's incredibly simple. It's a young boy, six years old. He murders his older sister with a kitchen knife on Halloween night in 1963. He is institutionalized and then 15 years later escapes a mental institution to come after Laurie Strode, a teenage girl, and her friends on Halloween night in 1978. These friends are babysitters. These are babysitters. The film was originally entitled The Babysitter Murders. From everything I've read. I think that was a working title before they even wrote the movie. It was, indeed. And then... By, yeah. the, by the time they sat down to write it, they had figured out that there had never been a movie called Halloween. But, and you know, I always thought that it was uh, John Carpenter and or Deborah Hill that kind of conceptualized that. But it was actually Erwin Yablons. Who a producer. came up with the idea not only for the babysitter murders, yeah. but... For the fact that it was going to be set on Halloween night. That was his, those were those golden ideas were both his. I like that because you usually picture like the director as auteur. Uh-huh. And the producer as especially a seventies producer. Yeah. As just coming in and being like, uh, does he have to kill on Halloween? Isn't <laughs> Valentine's Day nicer? Does he have to use a knife? Right. Does exactly. he have to wear the mask? I like to see faces on the screen. Which is big faces on the screen. <laughs> Which is why it's so bizarre. Like he, he just golden nugget here, golden nugget there. Yeah, stereotypically, they're not idea men. No, but uh, this guy uh, certainly had a good one. 
Marshall, did they film Halloween in Haddonfield, Illinois? Because it certainly looks like it, what with all those dead leaves rolling around everywhere. Cat, you know we both watched the making of. <laughs> I know we did. It was filmed in Pasadena and Hollywood. That's right. Actual Hollywood. Usually uh, to say something was filmed in Hollywood is just kind of a blanket term. To Can mean... kind of encompass the greater L.A. area. Exactly. But this was actually filmed... In Hollywood. The Michael Myers house, that was the one in Pasadena, correct? Correct. Uh, in South Pasadena, the Myers place was actually a house that was owned by a church. And they used it for exteriors. And um, it's actually in physically a different location now in 2012. They like moved it down the block? They did. They moved the house. And it's now painted. I know because I've been there. And I also went, when I the day that I saw this house, walking up and down the streets that kind of were indicated by scouring the internet and going, where did they film the street scenes? Yeah. And they're walking up and down the streets. And it is pretty remarkable how much Pasadena kind of looks like. Those streets, anyway, look like any town in America, you know, as long as you kind of cleverly you get could, rid of the palm trees. You could buy it as Haddonfield, Illinois. Absolutely. If, if you look really closely in the movie, you can see a couple palm trees. Kind yeah, of well, you see the palm the tree shots. trunks. They don't show you the palm tree tops. Right. They don't go that far. For me, one of the giveaways that it was Southern California is at the high school, there are lockers are on the outdoors. Oh, what a... I never put two and two together. That's funny. It never looked strange to me. Yeah, when, when PJ Souls is like, I've got three cheers to learn. And yeah. then the dance and I, I gotta, gotta get, get my, my hair. hair done. I'll be totally wiped out. Yeah, yeah, you can see behind them just outdoor lockers. That's, wow, as, I never paid attention to that. As if it that. doesn't snow or rain in Haddonfield, Illinois. Right. Wow. Touche. You know, and they cleverly, of course, had to get fake leaves and put them in front of or Fa- throw Fake them leaves in front of fans. or real leaves they kept having to reuse. I think it was fake leaves. I'm sure they had spray painted them, you know, colors. But at any rate, whether they were real or fake, they definitely were reusing and had a fan that they would, would toss leaves in front of to make them blow. It's so effective. So, And the Michael Myers house in the beginning is the location of the long shot. One long shot on a newly invented Steadicam mm-hmm. that follows the perspective of the killer through the house to the murder and back outside. They actually, if you when you're watching behind the scenes, you learn yeah. where they cut. Because it's it appears to be one great long shot. But they actually do cut once when he picks up the mask. Three times. Three times. Total. Oh. Now, they did three completely long takes, but they used the best parts of all three. And it's so effective. It really does feel totally seamless. At the time, I like to think the audiences in 78 were, like, pretty shocked when, at the end, they take off the mask. And it's a little boy. Yeah. I like to think there was an audible reaction in the crowd. I can only imagine. Yeah, so we see this kid commit this murder. And then that beautiful shot where the camera is pulling away. And it's a crane shot, which is pretty ambitious, I think, for such a low-budget independent film. And they pull all the way up, and you see mom and dad just kind of stand there staring at Michael. Yeah, it's like it's like a tableau. It's beautiful. It's not it's not a freeze frame, but everyone just stops moving. Mm-hmm. It is kind of unsettling that they do just stand there, given what's just happened or what you know they might think has just happened. The other two houses that they filmed in, yeah, those were both in Hollywood, and those were actually across the street from each other. Yes, it was. I believe it's a portion of um, Orange Grove Avenue, right at Sunset. I haven't been there, but I've heard Orange Grove, right at Sunset, is an In-N-Out Burger. Oh, but I guess if you go across the street past the shoe store, something like that, it's it's set back in that block, perhaps. Oh, maybe. Oh, are you talking about that off-Broadway shoe warehouse? Yes. Yeah, I know that exactly. I didn't realize it's exactly. Yeah, okay. I, I'm gonna have to go check it out sometime That's soon. Right by the high school. Yep. 
go up there. Bonnie Edelson, that's a haunted house. He said awful stuff happened there once. Now, uh, where you're from, your neighborhood, yeah, or surrounding areas, was there a house that the kids would avoid or said was haunted? Oh, or... man. I don't think there was one mythic house. There were definitely kind of smaller, not incredibly high-income parts of town, for sure. And there were a lot of, like, what I like to now call, because it's part of the vernacular, like, hoarding houses. So there were plenty of houses where, like, there's a lot of crap on the front porch. And it just, uh, as a kid, you imagine, like, witches live there um, <laughs> or something. I'm sure there there are plenty of old structures in the area I grew up in. And also, like, the thing about living in the South is it, you don't have to go too far to find Civil War battlegrounds. So that <laughs> kind of stuff is always spooky to me. All of that's haunted as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but I'm hoping there, you have a great story. Well, a, as a kid, there were some violent crimes committed here and there. One at a business had then closed, and then it would just be synonymous mm -hmm. with what had happened. Uh, but as a teenager, a bunch of us teens got in a car, took off down toward the Brandywine River, down by the Delaware-Pennsylvania border, mm -hmm. and found what was called the Satanic Church. What? I looked online for this. It's also called the Cult House. And I, was, I went looking for a debunking, because also where I'm from, there's a place called Midget Town. <laughs> and Midget Town got debunked. Okay. It was supposed to be a tiny town full of midgets when in fact it was built as an artist colony with just small houses oh my goodness uh, little people never lived there yeah and it's not a whole town it's like four houses so i, I went oh it gets better and better I, I went looking for a debunking just like that where somebody would say oh well it's just a this family lives there or right. it's a you know a non-profit whatever what's creepy about it is it's semi-rural and all of the trees around it grow away from the house now it, it doesn't take much to know that like oh it's in a valley so the sun only comes here during these hours so trees grow toward the sun oh, or right, all right. or maybe it's the river and trees grow towards sure. water whatever helps you sleep at night okay <laughs> but uh, going up to it yeah it's one of those old pennsylvania houses Ooh. people say the windows are in the shapes of upside down crosses which i don't recall and the trees do grow away from the house. And while I was looking... That's super creepy. While I was looking for a debunking, I think anybody out to write an online article about it are not out to debunk it. Right. Because some right. of the articles were also saying like, oh, it's really hard to find and all the, the signs are weird in the area, but we managed to find it. Right. And one of the, the larger rumors... that We went then, there was like a tower nearby, like a 200-year-old stone tower like within a few miles away and one of the guys that i was with said like that's where the dupont family keeps their inbred children because it, <gasps> it's known that they would try to keep the money in the family by like cousin marrying <sighs> when i went to look up the cult house that explanation was then ascribed to uh, the cult house saying that in, in uh, this creepy house where the trees grow away from it that's where the the unfortunate children are kept away from society. And you see the beginning of long years of conflating stories and how stories grow in size and yeah. scope because things like things like that happen. So that was the rumored house. Wow. I've been racking my brain. I'm going like, gosh, there must have been. I mean, I know every town kind of has things like that. Yours is pretty extreme. That's pretty extreme. Well, we had, we had to travel like, like half an hour to find it. Yeah. That's not that but. far. I'm not afraid. Bull. 
I'm not. Then go in. Chicken. Go ahead, Lonnie. Go in. Hey. Hey, Lonnie. Get your ass away from there. Now, here's something I want to discuss with you. Yes. Okay. What perspective do you watch the Halloween one with? Knowing that we would later find out that Laurie Strode was his sister and that's why he's following her? Or do you watch it as they made it in 78, which is she just has the bad luck of going up to that house to put a key under the mat for her real estate father. And he sees her and is reminded of his own teenage sister. And that's why he targets her and her friends. Well, I can't separate personally the concept of her being his sister from the story at all. That's impossible for me now. Okay. Just because of how much I've watched. For those of you in the dark here, for Halloween 2, which takes place later that night, we learned that the Jamie Lee Curtis character, Laurie Strode, is Michael Myers's would have been baby sister mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At, at the time. Mm-hmm. And now he's back. Half-sister, yeah. Oh, half-sister. Yeah, okay. technically. And now he's come back to just take off another limb of the family tree by killing her. But because that wasn't even conceived until they started writing the second film, watching the first film on its own, he just selects her and selects her friends because they remind him of his teenage sister that he killed 15 years ago. Well, and it's like you said, she has the misfortune of showing up to the Myers house because she's got to drop a key off. So it's like, why her? Because he was sitting inside the house and are standing there breathing heavily under his mask and she happened to walk up to the front door. Yeah, I... That's it. Absolutely. Marshall, how much do you know about the additional 12 minutes or so of footage that is in the TV version of Halloween? I've seen clips. Mm -hmm. Uh, Please expand. In 1980, the television rights to Halloween were sold to NBC just two years after the movie came out. So it was going to appear on television for the first time in October of 1981, but they had to fill the two-hour time slot, which, as we know, Halloween is not a solid two hours long. So, John Carpenter filmed 12 minutes of additional material during the production of Halloween 2. Let me just tell you, there are three notable scenes. Uh, I guess four. But what was getting me to this is the is the whole sister thing. So, there's a scene where the morning after the prison break, so to speak, Michael's gone, the room is trashed, and these nurses lead Dr. Loomis into his room, and he's looking around at all the rubble, and then they close the door, and on the inside of the door, scrawled, is the word sister. Which... Could mean Lori, mm-hmm. his or, sister guess, that he's yeah. going for, or was Judith Myers, Judith. Mm-hmm. who he stabbed those many years ago, and now he's out to do a little recreating. I tend to think it's referring to Lori somehow. Um, the best, silliest scene of the added footage is a scene where Lori is at home, the doorbell rings, and Jamie Lee Curtis comes down the stairs in a pink bathrobe and a towel wrapped around her head because Jamie Lee Curtis's hair was a lot shorter and yeah. it wasn't uh, what it was in the original film, so they had to think of something to do, so they put her in a towel. Oh, I'm glad she wasn't just like, I'm wearing this red fright wig. Right. Because it's Halloween. Yeah. Although I have to say, seeing her in a robe is really weird. But anyway, just because, you know, it's Laurie. But it's um, it's Linda. Linda has shown up at the door to 
borrow her silk blouse that she got for her birthday. It's such a silly, mo- there's just, it's, it's such fluff. It's so not, not unimportant. But Linda bursts in and, and says, let me in. And they shut the door and she's like, that, it's that guy I saw walking around, implying that she saw Michael outside. Yeah. And then of course, Annie calls to ask to borrow the same blouse. Yuck, yuck, yuck. End of scene. And she was up 12 minutes. <laughs> it's a, an unbearably long scene because it's just a whole bunch of, you know, why don't you answer the phone, Laurie? It's just a phone, blah, blah. Okay, creep. Like, it's just a whole bunch of that genie. You know, I wonder if Deborah Hill wrote this teenage right. She loves to take credit for the writing of the, the girls in the first movie. She's like, I knew how girls talked. I'm like, no girl has ever talked like that. I just, it, it is some of the most unrealistic writing, and I love it so much. It's it's so silly. Now, most of the uh, silly girl teenage banter takes place during their walk home from school. Mm-hmm. And something I noticed this time around was how the streets are just empty. Yeah. It's just the three of them. Well, one, they probably closed down the street for production. Mm -hmm. Two, couldn't afford extras in cars. Right. But having done that, they're just so isolated. Mm -hmm. There's homes all around them, but there's no people. There's no cars. And then when there is a car, it's Michael Myers in a car, which the car sort of represents him for a long time in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't get to see his face when he's in his hospital robe. Nope. You just see a guy in a hospital robe. You don't get to see his face for a long time, even in the famous Halloween mask. And so for a long time, the government station wagon is what you get a little start from. Of like Michael Myers. Yeah. Sure. The part of the killer will be played by this station wagon <laughs> for the first good half hour of the movie or more. Right. I think of it like the yellow buoy barrels in Jaws. Oh, sure. Like for a while, you I like really this analogy. You really didn't see the shark much at all, but you did see the yellow buoy barrels. Yeah. And every time you'd see a yellow buoy barrel, you'd be like, shark, 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 mm-hmm. shark. Yep. Just like now, it's like, bland station wagon, look out. Right. Oh, and expanding on that, the first time I watched Halloween, I knew what the Michael Myers mask looked like. Yes. It's the Michael Myers mask. I knew it as well as I knew the Jason hockey mask of or course. the Freddy Krueger face. But watching it, trying to think about what it'll be like to watch it for the first time back in, you know, 78. First of all, Michael Myers is not on the posters. No. For Halloween. No. Because nobody would know what it meant. Right. I mean, it'll be like, oh, it's a white mask. Well, that I guess that's creepy. Sure. I suppose. But instead, what they had was a picture of a pumpkin uh-huh. and a hand stabbing uh, right next to it. And the, the yeah, sections sure. of the pumpkin were all drawn as like orange stabs. Yeah. And it says, Halloween, the night he came home. Yeah. He yeah, in who, italics. Who's he? You mean Michael Myers? Like, well, who's who's Michael Myers? Yeah. Um, right. Well, he. Don't worry about it. So I started watching for The Mask in the movie and they take a while getting to that mask like even after you stop seeing the station wagon and you start seeing michael myers uh you see over the shoulder Mm -hmm. you see it from far away you see him in silhouette you see him in the darkness i compare it to the reporter in citizen kane how collectively you know what he looks like it's not a big mystery yeah Uh, it's not like is he horribly disfigured right no he's just being withheld but you can kind of piece it together a little bit here, a little bit there. Yeah. You see Michael Myers' mask behind gauzy curtains when he's um, looking in at Annie. When he's, mm-hmm. he's looking in at Annie. Yeah. And then even when he murders Annie, it's behind like the fog of the steamy windows. Yeah. It's not until Linda is killed 
And even then, he's got a sheet over him. Until she pulls it off in her... Yeah, until she pulls death, it off. Death pulls. And it's not until he is listening to Laurie, Jamie Lee Curtis, over the phone, do you get like a nice, big, well-lit, in-focus look at that mask. Right. And so it's not until the threat really comes closer to Laurie do you get to see this mask. Yeah. I think it accomplishes what it was meant to in the script, which Michael Myers' character is just referred to as the shape. He's just sort of meant to be this blank canvas upon which you can project your your worst fears. You know, made all the worse if your worst fear is to be stabbed to death by someone with a butcher knife. But as I'm sure pretty much everyone listening to this already knows, the filmmakers went down to the local Five and Dime and grabbed a Spock mask and cut out the eye holes. A I'm going to have to stop you right there. Did I say Spock? You did say Spock. Sorry. Do you even know who I am? It was a Captain Kirk mask. What I'm told is that the Captain Kirk mask of the time didn't even look at all. It just looked like a white guy. Right. It wasn't even that incredibly canny a resemblance to begin with, let alone the fact they cut out the eye holes a little bigger, which is funny because you don't even really see his eyes very well at all. No, and then, the, the shape of them are yeah. are just sort of like cavernous pools of blackness. And then they spray painted the face of like a bluish white. Oh, and then got rid of the sideburn. They got rid of the sideburn and, and teased up the hair. And the hair is kind of messy, but it's kind of an expressionless face. You can't discern anything from it, which speaks to what I feel is the scariest thing about Michael Myers, which is that he doesn't have really any motivation for killing which I guess me loving the whole sister aspect of this kind of kills that, but I'll choose not to really think about it. Okay. But I love, I love that there's no reason behind his desire to kill. He just wants to kill, and there's no way to reason with him because he doesn't care about your reasons. He just wants to kill. It's one of the biggest problems I had with Rob Zombie's remake, which is, uh, you know, it kind of gave a story to Michael that I didn't feel was useful in telling because it took all the steam out of the scariness for me. To me, it's scarier the the concept yeah. of pure evil that you just can't stop no so, similarly what. the curse of michael myers took it away from me by giving it i believe his, the explanation was his neighbors were satanists or occult members Oy vey. i and, didn't remember that and they, they took him when he was a boy and gave him like powers just like uh freddy krueger in the um freddy's dead yeah apparently there were ancient demons that came and visited him as he was uh burning alive and they gave him the powers that's so convoluted. Even Yeah, and you like to think that Freddy just came back by sheer meanness. Yeah. Just oh, yeah, that's the, the way scary. Power of being a bastard. Exactly. I mean, the power of, of emotion and revenge and kind of the idea that you can conjure physical affectation or being. You know, like, you're Freddy, you're dead, but now you're back you're in people's dreams because you're so pissed off. Now, um, if why he kills is, is a delicious mystery, how about why bullets don't seem to stop him or knitting needles or or any of that knitting needles to the do, eye. do you prefer to think that he's just too mean to die yeah I, I think i kind of have to lump that in for myself with the concept of it's not about motivation it's not because if you were emotionally weak in that way and like really cared enough to whatever i feel like he would not be impervious to bullets and knitting needles in the eyeball but yeah i think he's just rock solid evil and 
it's scarier that he gets up after being shot six times. But you know, I think I think it is. He's just he's just pure evil. I don't want to think of him as like a demon. He's just evil incarnate. And I love that um, Dr. Loomis is not surprised in the slightest to see at the end of the movie that he's um, gotten up off the grass after shooting him six times. Nope, he was just sort of like resigned. That's that's oh. what happens. Yep. Uh, speaking of Dr. Loomis, you want to talk about Donald Pleasance? Yes, I do. Because he's great. Donald Pleasance was not the first choice to play Dr. Loomis. No. Uh, do you know who else was higher in the running? The Hammer duo of Cushing and or Lee. That's right. I think it was Christopher Lee who came to John Carpenter years later and said, number one biggest mistake I ever made career-wise was turning that movie down. Uh, and, you know, Donald Pleasance uh, only had about a week to shoot, so they shot all of his stuff together. Uh, and there's this really great footage in this documentary that's on the 25th anniversary DVD of Halloween called it, Halloween, A Cut Above the Rest. There's footage of Donald Pleasance in this documentary kind of on set, good-naturedly kind of ribbing about how um, a lot of the things he, he has to say in the film are, in his opinion, melodramatic, and how he has to work really hard to figure out a good way to be an actor and say these lines. And then it cuts to, like, an interview with John Carpenter where he's like, I'm pretty sure he was totally messing with me, like, trying to give me a really yeah. hard time, which I love. I, I just, I love that, because Donald Pleasance was such a comparatively heavy hitter. I mean, he's he's yeah. got top billing he was established um, he yeah he was a big time actor so for them to have him in this movie it was a bunch of kids they were all so young i i watched him for 15 years sitting in a room staring at a wall not seeing the wall looking past the wall looking at this night in humanly patient waiting for some secret silent alarm to trigger him off Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. In regards to seeing, like, not seeing Michael Myers' actual face and not even seeing the mask for long periods of time. Yeah. What you did get was Donald Pleasance's speeches. The best. Well, he was never not talking about Michael Myers. <laughs> right. So, from the beginning, talking to the nurse about all the precautions he wants to take. To talking to the other doctor about... I told everybody! To then talking to the sheriff. Death has come to your little town. Yeah, you're right. Everything he says yeah. is all about Michael. And even though Michael Myers hadn't done much as an adult, he stole a car, and then he stole some masks and rope and knives. Right. According to the, the hardware store, which, mm -hmm. by the way, the hardware store, its alarm was going off. Yeah. But it was open. <laughs> if you watch if you watch any movie like a dozen times then you yeah. start to notice like why is the alarm going off for an open store <laughs> and since he's had this mask for hours is that has that alarm just been going on just for hours, for hours and, and hours and, yeah. i mean it must be driving all the customers away right and then he's like he basically describes a home invasion kit mm -hmm. he's like ah it's just masks rope and knives who do you think did it yeah must be teenagers you blame everything on kids. So the um, tropes of Halloween were helping Michael Myers to stay a little bit undetected. Right. Because everybody's playing funny pranks on Halloween. Sure. Kids are likely to do such things. Digging up graves. I mean, he, dig he digs up his sister's grave. Yeah. Not, not her, her casket, but her actual headstone. Right. The headstone. But he uh, yeah. But, you know, what does the caretaker of the graveyard say? Damn kids. Damn you teenagers. Know, just, also, what, blame it on. what was the rope for? Was it the grave? Um, the headstone? Getting that thing out of the ground? Wow. I, did, I did he have a part two to his plan? Because he didn't... Wait. Does it... Is Bob hanging in the closet, ultimately? 
He doesn't kill him that way, but someone's hanging in the closet. He is when, when Bob's body's revealed. Maybe he's hanging upside the down in the closet. Yeah, I guess. I, guess. So. I never thought. Well, about let's it. talk about his plan. Period. Oh, you mean setting up a spook house for Lori? Because that's pretty funny when you is, think about it. Is is that his plan? Because g- going from his perspective, there's no sister plan in in my right. my, my in, in my point counterpoint. Going strictly on Halloween, the original film, there's no indication of sister. Yeah, no, he's just, he's just out kill. to recreate the crime. Mm-hmm. So he's tracking these three girls. He narrows it down to two. Yep. They go into their separate homes. One of them becomes alone long enough. To get murdered. He takes her body up, sets it on the bed, puts the... No, I guess he doesn't sit on the bed. Because later they're in that bed having the sex. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So okay. he puts it somewhere puts for it the somewhere. time being. Okay. I wonder where. I, I, I think maybe he, he's about to do that. Mm-hmm. When all of a sudden, two more teenagers come over. Horny teenagers. Not a part of his plan. So nope. Michael Myers must be like, Time to set up a morbid tableau of my dead sister with this teenager with whom I've killed. What the heck? Right. Hey. Unexpected. This is gravy on top. Mm-hmm. I get to do it all over again. <laughs> and he does. Yep. And then comes Lori from across the street. And he's like, triple threat. Yep. I only plan on doing this once. Here comes two more. And here comes a third. If I just stay in this house. People will keep coming here that I can murder. There may be an endless supply of teenage girls, for, for, for all he knows. <laughs> right. It is kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where, where Leatherface can't figure out where all these people are coming from. Right. They just keep showing up. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Whatever his master plan was, it probably only involved one teenage girl. There's a really fun comedy sketch in there somewhere. And rope. <laughs> and rope. The thing. From another world. They're watching The Thing, and then they watch Forbidden Planet. Laurie has has agreed to watch little Lindsay Wallace for Annie, who wants to go get busy with her boyfriend. So little Lindsay comes over to Tommy's house, where Laurie's watching Tommy, and all three of them are watching scary movies, right? Yeah, and and even before that. And before that, Lindsay's was, watching some scary movies. It was her movies. plan. She's like, I'm exactly. going to park her in front of... Six hours of horror movies. Dr. Dementia. Dr. Dementia. Wallace won't know what hit her. Exactly. Yeah. Dr. Dementia, I'm sure, was referring to a local horror host of the day, which brings me to horror hosts. And all night horror movies used to be a bigger thing in America. Yeah. Back before infomercials. Sure. Before you were allowed to show infomercials. And from the 50s through the 70s, when a local TV network would show a horror movie, they would... Include a horror host like Elvira or Vampira, mm-hmm. Goulardi, who was Paul Thomas Anderson's father. Oh, really? Yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson's father was a horror host? Yes. Shut in up. In Cleveland. And Ohio was... Ohio and the Midwest were big with their horror hosts. Yeah. But every major city had their own horror host. Wow. And they would be local celebrities that everybody would know. And they would often dress up as like a mad scientist. Like or Fright a, Night. Like Fright Night yeah. with Peter Vincent. Peter Vincent. My area, as late as 1985, which was really like the last gasp. That seems like, yeah. Of, of the horror hosts because they changed the laws about how long you could show commercials for ah. in 1984. And what we had was Saturday Night Dead. Uh, which really? Would, which would come That's on great. after Saturday Night Live. This is Saturday Night Dead. Starring Stella, that man-eater from Maniunk. Tonight, Roddy McDowell stars in the horror thriller, It. As far as scary movies on Halloween. Yes. 
I remember for a few years after trick-or-treating, I could come home and at 10 o'clock on one of my local networks, they would show Transylvania 6500. Oh, wow. Not a terribly scary movie. Right. But it did have all the classic monsters. It had a vampire and a Frankenstein and a wolfman. Yeah. And and a few others in the mix and a mad scientist. Not much more Halloween-y than all that. In, indeed. And that was how I would wind down my Halloween nights. Yeah. It was with a commercial interrupted, edited for television, Transylvania 6500. That's great. Listen, there are the children of the night. They're doing out in the daytime. Halloween is such a nostalgic movie for me because I've I watched it so much as a kid and I, I watch it all the time. Uh, not just at Halloween. I just think it's a beautifully shot movie and it lives right just right inside me. I love it so much. But from an objective point of view, as far as movies go, I mean, there's just, it, it's so incredibly simple. And I, I don't recall of late seeing a movie as simple and beautiful and let's, suspenseful. Let's us talk about its simplicity. Yeah. Well, let, let me just go to the climax of the film in its simplicity. Mm -hmm. The bulk of the middle and all of the end takes place in one of two houses. And for the big climax, they don't then go to the power plant nearby mm -hmm. or some kind of set up a rickety bridge for a showdown. Yeah. They don't go to the boiler room. They don't go to the boiler room. They don't they, set booby traps. It's no elaborate. Yeah. No, they go from downstairs to upstairs in the house. And she I never thought about it that way. Yeah. And whereas in a weaker film, they would go to uh, what Roger Ebert would call the sparks and steam factory. <laughs> That's great. And, um, however, the big showdown takes place in a closet, pretty much. It does. She locks the kids in one room. She goes into another room, tries to do that fake out where she opens a window. And maybe Michael Myers will be like, she jumped out the window. And then she locks herself in the closet. Doesn't even lock it. She just takes, like, a piece of cloth and tries to tie the door shut from the inside. Yep. And then we're now not on the catwalk over top of molten metal. Right. We're in a very small space. Yep. And he's coming. He, and he, how are we going to get out of this yeah, one? He's got a knife. She's got a coat hanger. Mm -hmm. And that's the climax in a simple film. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of times this movie's compared to Psycho and I can totally see why. And I love Psycho and Psycho is really scary to me. But, and this is by no means am I saying that Halloween is better than Psycho. But um, in some ways I feel like Halloween took the concept of Psycho, which brought horror down from the gothic castles and you know it's like yeah. now it's in psycho it's like just a lady but even in psycho that the stakes are higher she's stolen a lot of money yeah she's in a one of those once in a lifetime situations where she's just gotten herself into a, the biggest pickle and you can still identify with her of course you do yeah. we we always we do which is why psycho is so scary but with halloween these are babysitters in any town in america it goes even more relatable like yeah. like None of us have stolen a lot of money from our boss. Correct. But most of us have been babysat or babysit. Yes, exactly. That's the bottom line. She got stuck in the window. She'll be right here. Hello? Hi, Annie. Oh, hi, Paul. Stuck, huh? All right, cut it out. It can happen to anyone. Yeah, but I've seen you stuck in plenty of other positions. My parents are gone. It's almost vignettes. Yes. You know, the, the first vignette is Annie. 
spills the butter on her shirt, has yep. to go to the laundry room, blah, blah, blah. Dead. You think she's yeah. going to get her head cut off when, when she gets stuck in a window? Yeah. And then... Those bare legs and those underwear, just, yeah, it's it's quite nerve-wracking. And then she sends the little girl across the street, and now she's all alone. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, it's going to happen. Yep. Is it going to happen in the living room? Is it going to happen in the garage? How about back in the living room because she forgot her keys? Right. Is it going to happen? And then real quick, you know it's going to happen because the door that was locked in the car a second ago, then she had to go back and get her keys. Now it just opens easily. Yep. And for me, that that was a, that was a fright. When yeah. she's like, her car door opened. That's, that's the ah! moment when your blood runs cold and your skin goes numb and you're like, it's this is not good. Yeah. 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 It's like, I can, I can stop wondering because that car door just opened. Mm-hmm. And you're just a hair ahead of her. Yeah. And, and knowing what's going to happen. And then... Her story's over, and then enter the PJ Souls story, mm-hmm. where she arrives with her boyfriend, and then goes upstairs to the home of strangers, right. and makes love in their bed, and then during a, a beer run down Easy to the kids. kitchen, Michael Bob Myers encounters Michael Myers. Yeah, he's murdered, and then Michael Myers goes up for her in a ghost outfit. So he's already wearing a mask and the jumpsuit that he, he took from a tow truck driver. Mm-hmm. So despite his being in complete disguise, he then puts on a sheet. With holes for the eyes. And then... And, and glasses Bob's over the holes. Bob's glasses. Bob's glasses. Yeah. It kind of looks like a Peanuts Great Pumpkin Most ghost. definitely. Yeah. yeah. Decidedly less cute. I got five pieces of candy. I got a chocolate bar. I got a quarter. I got a rock. This could have been set on any night. And in a rough pitch for the film, it would have been set on just any night. Mm-hmm. A, a murderer murdering teenagers. Some cold night. Probably sometime in the fall or winter. Sure. Or maybe not. Maybe summer. Summertime's a good time for murdering. Yeah. Instead of carving a pumpkin, they'd be slicing up some watermelon. Yeah. But uh, when they decided to set it on Halloween, they decided to include some of the iconography of Halloween. The iconography of Halloween both works for the story and is just sort of peppered throughout it there's trick-or-treaters in watching behind the scenes stuff they talked about how it was just neighborhood people who dressed their kids up and you know they were able to get some really nice people who lived in hollywood oh great bring their kids out you know the the few trick-or-treaters that are there are just like neighborhood volunteers they couldn't really afford to hire people yeah and it makes it a little i'm never too afraid for the trick-or-treaters but sometimes there'd be like a, a shot of Michael Myers and there'd be a bunch of kids running past him. Yep. Going like, trick or treat. Kat, how old were you when you stopped trick or treating? Oh, gosh. Really? Um, there's, there's these were landmark events for me. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, Halloween remained magical for me long beyond when I stopped trick-or-treating. But I do, I feel like I do recall trick-or-treating in a neighborhood that I lived in when I was around 10, 11, 12. So I feel like... Now, this was North Carolina. Uh-huh. Yeah. So were the houses kind of spread apart? Was it a big pain to go trick-or-treating? Um, they were, for a period of time, I lived in a neighborhood. So it was completely walkable and there were great houses and everyone had candy ready. What you're saying is is definitely a reality. I remember when I was in high school, one of the volunteer organizations I worked with, they would have like a little Halloween trick-or-treat organized thing on Halloween night for the kids who didn't live in subdivisions like that, who, whose houses were really far apart. Who okay. They could come and then... They go, um, like to, they go to booths? 
yeah, or something. Exactly. Just and they g- can... go around a room and yeah. pick up candy. That's nice. Yeah. yeah, which is nice. You know, I've, I've always been fascinated by how that works in like Manhattan. I talked to a friend who grew up in yes, Manhattan. Yes, please. Uh, he would go into apartment buildings and I, I would say, well, where I'm from, the suburbs, uh-huh. if you have your porch light on, that means it's fair yes, game. Yes, that was code for us too. But there's no porch lights in apartment buildings. So he said, well, any door that had like a Halloween decoration oh. on the outside, you, you would just go and knock on it. And I said, well, this is just your apartment building? And he's like, no, just apartment buildings. You just walk into buildings. Yeah. All right. And that was okay. Yeah, that sounds right to me. Now, where I'm from, uh, outside Philadelphia, there were row homes. Okay. There were whole sections that were just row homes. Oh, nice. And you could do the math. That seems pretty convenient. You get to hit a large number of... Yeah, even if there were these fabled Richie areas that gave out full-size candy bars, if you just go over to them, yeah, well, the wealthy have space in between their houses Mm -hmm. for their palatial lawns. Yeah. Whereas you head over to the row homes and it's just like mini Snickers, mini Snickers, Almond Joy, right down the row. Nice. Go to the other side of the street and do it again. Yeah. I trick-or-treated until I was 16. Really? (sighs) 16 years old. How does that work out? Well, you would think you'd get looks, (laughs) but I didn't care. Yeah. I don't know. I think as long as you dress up, even though I was six foot at least... Oh, bless your heart. At 16, I was also a six-foot ghost. Yeah. But it's like, it's so hard at what year do you say, I'll never do this again. That's that's rough. And I, I think that's how sometimes you get like teenagers without costumes. Yeah. Which everyone's like, oh, punks. Yeah, well, I agree with that. I, I, I think where that com- comes from is teenagers saying like, you know what? I'm not going to trick or treat. This year I'm just going to, you know, stay in with my friends. Mm-hmm. And then it gets to be about like seven o'clock and it's getting dark. And everybody else is going to Everyone else is trick-or-treating. And they've done it every other year for their remembered lives. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere around eight o'clock, they just say, screw it. Screw it, screw it, screw it. And then their friend goes, we don't have a costume. And he goes, balls to your costume. Let's go. And that's I how guess. you get punk teenagers I, with no costumes. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I think that makes sense. Last except, minute panic trick-or-treaters. Yeah, but I, except I find, I don't know. I was talking to my mom about this. She kind of does this debate with me every year about, well, I just don't know. I mean, we don't get that many trick-or-treaters. I'm like, buy the candy, damn it. Just buy it and get it ready. Because there is such a fluctuation for whatever reason from year to year for what she sees. And they're not in a neighborhood per se. But there's enough houses. Sure. Sometimes they get them, sometimes they don't. But she was complaining about that very thing about like teenagers showing up and just kind of you know holding out a bag it's like i agree with you if you're dressing up yeah uh, and you have a really good attitude i don't care how old you are i'll give you candy but i think the punk teenagers i'm thinking about are the ones who are just that i mean if they showed up and it was a panic thing of like i just realized this well, is still too much fun i have to I, do I, I did the math that on it comes through and i'm i'm supposing that the panic yeah. i think by the time they get to you they all just look like punks yeah but maybe I'm, I'm just giving them the benefit of the doubt and thinking there was some scenario where they just... See, the thing is, when I was 17, I said, well, this is my year. I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to trick-or-treat. It was a Sunday, so we got to watch the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. Yeah. Like, a, a bunch of us got together and, and watched that. Uh, and that was nice. But also, it was raining. And well, that might have that, must've that helped, helped yeah. tremendously. Right. And if it wasn't raining, I might have just freaked just out. Going shoved a bag on my head uh, and just been like trick or treat everybody that's a good point because how do you i mean what a what a fun magical thing and then you just have to force yourself not yeah to- i believe that i would have stopped years earlier if we had gotten trick-or-treaters 
to come to my home mm-hmm. because we live on a busy street close to the row homes that everyone wants to go to. Yeah. That it's just out of your way to go to our house. We would get maybe like two trick-or-treaters. Yeah. If I could have just stepped to the other side of the trick-or-treat scenario and became a candy giver instead mm-hmm. of a candy taker, I would have been fine with that. Mm-hmm. But it, that option wasn't open to me. I did that one year. And I'll tell you something. It was a lot of fun. And I stayed, I was in, out in Upland with my dad and my stepmom. And we watched, you know, Halloween-y things on TV, like yeah. cartoons and stuff. But I put on my best Halloween t-shirt and a witch hat. And it was, every time that doorbell rang, I was like, who's it gonna be this time? And it was just as much fun for me as anything. It was awesome to see the little costumes and hear the little kids you know, the oh, yeah. ones who were too nervous to say trick or treat and then see, oh God. Once my cousin became like a homeowner, to me. Mm-hmm. I would go to her place, dress in a full scream costume oh, nice. and, and give out candy. I always appreciate now in retrospect, at the time I hated it as a kid, but you know, hate, loved it, whatever. But the people who go through to the effort to put jump scare type things on their porch, you oh, know, yes. like a skeleton or, or like to, to sit there as though they're an unmoving statue of sorts um, and then scarecrow yeah so sure they'll, they'll sit as a scarecrow and then it's like Bruh. yep i love it i love that people take the time to sit there um like for five hours <laughs> and just scare little kids over and over again i mean that's just all part of it when when people i just applaud people who do that because that's that's all part of it Michael Myers is referred to as the Boogeyman a couple of times. Mm-hmm. It's Tommy's first learning of the Boogeyman by being taunted. Boogeyman is coming! Yeah. In the, yeah. Stupid kids. I hate those kids. I think in, in the bastard. 70s, kids were just jerks. Yeah, totally. They knock him Be- down on top Between of the them and the Bad News Bears, it was like <laughs> a generation of jerks. Yeah. So then he's he's got a few questions about the Boogeyman. What's the boogeyman? He would see, he would glimpse Michael Myers outside the house and say, it's the boogeyman, it's the boogeyman. And he'd get shot down with, you're just watching scary movies. Yeah, you're scaring Lindsay, stop it. Yeah. And then Lori goes through her whole ordeal uh, in fighting Michael Myers. Yep. He gets shot by his own doctor. And then Donald Pleasance is asked by Lori. Was that the boogeyman? He says, as a a matter of fact, that was... Yeah. It was. Mm-hmm. So the boogeyman is a very vague thing. I grew up hearing about the boogeyman. Yeah. I, I believe he lived in a closet. But other people might say, oh, he lives under your bed. Or, or he just, in the woods. Or, or... in the woods. Mm-hmm. There's no commonly accepted mythology no. behind the boogeyman. So if you're trying to sort of paste a legend onto Michael Myers. That's perfect. That's perfect mm-hmm. because he is the shape. Yep. He's got that blank face. And the best you can describe to him is this vague threat of the boogeyman, which is, what's the boogeyman look like? I can't even draw right. him. What's, what's, what's he, uh, where does he live? The North Pole? No, right. No one knows. <laughs> what, what, he's what, kind of like a Pennywise the Clown character. He's just any fear you have could be, sure, whatever. He's sort of a one-size-fits-all for I your fears. I always kind of imagine the boogeyman as, besides Michael, because Michael Myers is Michael Myers to me. The concept of the boogeyman is kind of like, what I recently learned, mythology-wise, a uh, Slender Man. This, oh. but but the Boogeyman kind of to me feels like a, a really spindly-fingered, you know, like, creepy. Well, for me, man. Boogie was the double meaning meaning snot. So <laughs> if, if I ever had to really sit scary. down and think about it, 
It'll be some kind of snot-based creature. Would it be like Pizza the Hut from Spaceballs, but made out of boogers? That's pretty close. Actually, let's talk about the very ending. The very ending of the film. The very ending of this film. As far as we've talked about him getting shot. Yes. And then he's laying on the ground. There's a boogeyman exchange. Mm -hmm. And then Donald Pleasance walks back to To, the the window. And there's no one on the ground. No Michael Myers. Cue music. Cue music. the, um, The music that John Carpenter did himself. Yes. Which he said was based on bongo music. The bongo rhythm, but transferred to a rather than bongo sounds. Right. Then, and this was invented in the editing room, not in the script. So they would take probably shots from this and that and just put it together well. And then it, it would show various places where Michael Myers had been. We revisit. Yeah, uh, you the, revisit. The joyous places we just saw. Like the sofa that he jumped out from behind. Mayhem. Yeah. The hallway that he walked through and the rooms and hallways are all just desolately empty yeah they're empty they're dark maybe he's there maybe he's not but over top of it is the music mm-hmm. and the breathing in the mask sound yeah not a raspy breathing not the breathing of someone who's even injured but just that sort of yep and i'm not the first to say this but it implies that he's nowhere and he's everywhere and he's everywhere and the last shot is of the the old myers house and then if you're watching this in the theater, blackness. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of blackness between the Myers house and the first credit, which if you're watching this in the theater, it's like Michael Myers is everywhere. Now you're in the dark. Maybe right next to your ear. Yeah. I And I... All credits. It leaves you kind of feeling empty and scared because you're like, well, he's gone. But it, but where, but where, is he? I don't know where he went. Where, yeah. Is he really gone? I'm, is he in know. that shadow? Is he behind that sofa? Right. It's time for games. It's time for fun. Not for just one, but for everyone. It's Halloween. It's Halloween. It's Halloween. So everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. If you've never seen Halloween before, I hope we didn't give too much away. <laughs> if you have, I hope you uh, learn a little something about it. So thank you so much for listening uh, to this, our John Carpenter's 1978 Halloween podcast. It's great for a listen any time of year. And if you feel like sending us your Halloween stories, either the movie or the uh your own personal childhood or adulthood halloween experiences please do i would love to read those it would no, nothing would give me more pleasure in life and you can do that at boys and ghouls at gmail.com uh, we hope you join us for future episodes so until next time beware the moon beware the king.